Yeah, so before our interview, like uh, Chen Yi will be also a kind of co-interviewer, moderator. Like Chen Yi, could you kind of give the audience a kind of very brief introduction about yourself, maybe one or two sentences? Yeah. Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm currently a corporate lawyer in New York. I'm working in a firm called Carter Layer Melbourne. And uh, actually, before my experience in New York, I work in O'Malley's Shanghai office. So I've heard a lot of Persia's story, and I also I also read per, uh, Persia's biology. So uh, so I'm very, I look forward to this conversation. Yeah, so about myself, so my name is Hardy Joe. So I am, uh, I used to work at Baker McKenzie Sun High for eight years. I am a test attorney. So after working at Baker for eight years, I came to the United States in 2021. And then I did a test LN at NYU. Uh, after completing my test LM, I joined like Rosen Grace, like New York office as a test attorney. Yeah, so I am currently a co-chair of the Albanese uh, Ada Practice Committee. Yeah, so that's about our background. Yeah, so for starting our interview with Portia. So, hi, Portia. Are you there? I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Could you like start by introducing yourself and give us a kind of brief overview of your career path? Okay, sure. Uh, good morning and good evening, everyone. Um, this is Portia Ku. I'm a partner based in New York office of Omarni Myers. I'm actually very honored to be invited to share the experience with you by the Albany um, Asian community or committee. Honestly, I can never <laughs> pronounce the full name of your committee, but ab absolutely wonderful. Um, I, um, I'm happy to share the, uh, the life and work experience with you guys, because I think my path is a little bit different from most of the people here that you can imagine. I think it, I, I was joking, uh, I was hardy. I think I, I had a the reverse attack plan, right? From Asia to United States. But um, I grew up in Taiwan um, and I had a law degree from NTU, National Taiwan University. Uh, for some personal reason, um, I decided to apply for you know, law school, LLM degree, because at that point they provided a scholarship. Um, their goal is making it very clear when they admitted me and saying that we're really would like you to go back to teach in Taiwan, right? That's the reason they set up the LLM program. And after I got to the United States, um, within three months, I think I realized that I'm not quite sure. I studied four years of civil law. How can I really understand common law system within even eight months, even if I can count to the months that I'm graduating in May? Particularly, Yale actually has a very, very humanitarian program in a way that their, their grading system is very relaxed, right? 3% honor, 3% failure, all pass, and then the dean of law school really encouraged us to be a whole rounded person. They didn't really ask us to study that hard. So I was so confused. I was like, okay, so how am I going to even do comparative legal studies? Because I don't really understand uh, a lot about uh, common law system. And then I went to talk to the dean of Yale Law School, but that was 
an absolutely necessary wake-up call to me at that moment already because I said, I don't quite understand how the system's working, even if I you you wanted to provide me with this uh, position, even if I study uh, for SJD program, um, because I don't have the right supervisor. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. And should I study JD? How you know how how should I deepen my US uh, common law knowledge? And he kind of right away gave me um, a very stern explanation. He said, Portia, you have to understand LLM degree is designed for foreigners to um, get to know US common law system, go back to your country. Okay, you're not supposed to um, uh, you know, become a lawyer practicing in the United States. If you want to be that one person, however, then go through the normal JD application process and don't think that LLM degree is a backdoor shortcut. And I actually think it was, um, although it came up a little bit harsh to me as a fresh um, young person who is only 25, who just got out of the country, didn't know anything. Um, but I actually think it was absolutely necessary and helped me a lot to suddenly realize what who I was at that moment. I think the I didn't quite realize that I, and then afterwards I, uh, through the process, I talked to a lot of Yale JD friends. I realized they actually gone through a very rigorous um, cultivating, childhood cultivating process to go through the sports program, music program, debate program, whatever it is to become a wonderful college student then work and then because the tuition is very high and then go to apply for GD program. It's, it's, it's actually far more rigorous, um, far more subjective process than I have imagined, right? Because for us, uh, I think even for, for you, for some of you graduating from Hong Kong or even, I don't know, China, um, you have a very uniform natural, uh, national entrance exam. You, you pass, you, you're into, um, your intellect can help you to arrive at the place. But I think in the United States, it requires far more skill set for you to actually to be successful. I think I learned that in the hard way. And then I realized that I probably um, wouldn't be able to really compete effectively with anybody at that point. Although I still try to find a job, although Yale Law School has a really wonderful reputation, but you know, overall, I kind of listen, and so I actually um, apply for JD program, and then I apply. I got into Stanford, and then uh, then the second point is I didn't have money, and I wouldn't be at at point at that point for my family to have to being a kind of low income family. I couldn't imagine I'm gonna make a student loan for two hundred thousand dollars for three years. <laughs> I just couldn't. For me at that point at that age, I cannot imagine. So I, I was um, thinking that I should go back to Taiwan to uh, work for two, three years. I, I tried to defer and I tried to see whether I can go back to Taiwan to work to get more uh, funding. So I went back to work in Li and Li in Taiwan. And, and it's so funny that I thought I'm just going to defer for one year, but uh, as romantic as you cannot see, then I met my ex-husband and I got married. So I didn't come out. Um, but I think the life has a twist uh, in a way that um, first I suddenly realized the huge pay scale differences, right, between a Taiwan local market, even if, even if I was in the best firm. 
And even if um, um, I was kind of like a pimper, the superstar associate in Taiwan, because, you know, I had a Yale YOM, I had Taiwan bar, I had US bar, it just sounds wonderful. But I suddenly realized the market itself is limiting my pay. And that I know how much my friend, a JD program person can get in the first year. I suddenly realized, and that pay gap is not going to be narrowed within even 20 years time, right? Because depending on how, even if I made to the uh, managing partner of local firm, at that point, I cannot see the pay gap to be mitigated. But uh, again, for love, I may, I was okay to stay, right? So that is, it's a choice. But interestingly, um, my ex-husband also wanted to go back to the States. And therefore, he said, you're going to have to try to see before you're too old whether you can find another job to go back to the United States. Um, it just so happened that um, I actually um, had a friend who got hired away from Taiwan to Brian Wood in Hong Kong. So I used the same recruiter. I, I actually went to uh, Kay Scholler in Hong Kong to work. Um, I think for a very short period of time, but I, I suddenly again realized that if I wanted to, if my uh, family's mandate is for me to be an immigrant, to go back to the United States, to stay there, just not, just not because I want to be trained as US lawyer only, it's because I want to have a life established in the United States. I need to have a real US legal skill set. Kay Scholler at that point was very successful in Hong Kong doing uh, Dow Chemical GM's Chinese joint venture, right? For all those cars, as you imagine, that for the technology transfer, all those things. It's critically important. The business was booming. But I somehow, at that point, I already noticed that if I, I'm only good at that, I can never have a um, skill set to thrive in the United States because I cannot really work on Chinese joint venture in the United States, only for people who want to go to invest in China. Um, to be based in the United States. I am limiting myself in terms of a choice. So I was looking um, and somehow, um, again, uh, very fortunately, uh, Corvette was trying to um, recruit people because as you probably know, Corvette was never really doing lateral hire in a way. And I'm not a homegrown Corvette person, but they really were trying to make an exception to look for people who can be trained in New York and sent to Hong Kong for them to open a Hong Kong office. Um, so, I, you know, the recruiter said, you could try, um, it's a long shot, um, but you're just LOM person, you're not, you don't have a JD degree and then you haven't worked long, so let's try. Somehow I went to interview, it was again, a very um, miraculous trip. I don't think um, by my bio, I don't think the person who interviewed me was very impressed, right? So saw so the whole interview, she didn't really look at me. She was like, oh, mm-hmm. And I can sense that the interview was about to stop. Um, I think that um, there's a God-influencing fortune that I look at the picture on her desk. I start asking, who is this? Is this your fiance or husband? You guys look so nice together. Um, and she said, Oh, this is my fiance, but um, but we're you know on long distance. I'm in New York, he, he's in San Francisco. 
um, I started chatting with her. I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm going to have a long, long distance relationship with my husband too, because my husband wants to stay in Taiwan. I, I need to find a job. I'm working in Hong Kong and I need to find a job in New York. We start chatting about this. Certainly the interview was over. But then I said, you know, since I'm here in New York, if you have time for breakfast, let's catch up. She was very happy. So um, I had another follow-up coffee with, with her. I actually do not quite know what I said, but I think that she she was, she is a UPenn undergrad, ABC, a, a UPenn undergraduate, Harvard JD. I, I only knew that her report back to the partner at Professor was saying, you absolutely have to talk to Portia because she is a very mature, sophisticated person. She had a very sophisticated personality. She definitely is going to be an asset to the firm. I seriously do not know what, what part of my long distance relationship conversation <laughs> gave her that comfort, but she recommended me to the Pervest partner. The Pervest partner looked at me and he told me something which I, I think I got the hint. I think he, he said he interviewed many JD people, but somehow um, not many come up to have first language skill, also the maturity and integrity for them to trust, to train into a right, decent lawyer and to be able to handle the institutional relationship they have with Credit Suisse and some Smith Barney and the Chinese issuer. Um, I think I have some background benefit because my both my parents are from China and I have a very complicated family. So I, I think I show him um, enough depth for him to feel like he probably believed that even if, if he even asked me, he said, am I, uh, he is worried that I, I might be too withdrawn as a woman, um, not be able to stand out on my own. And he also um, was worried about my English, all those things. But I, I think I had a very honest conversation with him. And I also said, and he, um, I shared with him some background story. He kind of can see that I'm not very easily going to give up. I think that I'm humble enough to admit that I wasn't good enough, but I'm good enough to catch up in a very short period of time. I'm good enough to learn their business because they're trying to do capital markets work, which I have no clue what it is. Um, and he also said, oh, you passed the Taiwan bar and Taiwan bar pass rate was 1%. I believe that you're pretty smart. I said, of course, right? But I, I do understand that to be a good, great lawyer, um, being smart is not good enough, right? You have to be a very, you have to be committed to be a value added solution provider. You're trying to find a solution to make things work. You're not a compliance, compliance lawyer. You're trying to um, figure out how I'm going to make the transaction happen. I think this is actually the experience I gained from that two years I worked in Lianli. I think I learned a lot in terms of, um, it doesn't matter how much you want to um, uh, be a good lawyer, but in the end of the day, if the deal isn't closed, you have no fee, okay? <laughs> it's, it's over. And then your whole thing, your compensation will be cut, your fee collection will be cut. And also uh, for a deal to happen, Legal skills is very important, but soft um, network, um, understanding of the people and the players and their relationship is also very important. I'm not focusing on the business connection. I'm focusing on 
how the dynamics of the transaction is going to happen, like the sell side and buy side, who control the seller, who control the buyer. I think I see a lot of things as to why a deal is working, why a deal is not working. And everybody could have access to capital, but why someone can use the capital to do it better. I think that somehow um, when I interviewed with Corvaz, I was already close to 30 years old. I think that age and the experience, life experience actually gave me some edge. Um, I think my Corvass partner saw that I'm actually, um, I don't BS. Um, I'm not pumping. I'm not uh, trying to exaggerating uh, my skills, but they also can see I can really roll out the sleeve, can really Resue the rules and work. I think they somehow believe that I'm that kind of person. Maybe they believe Taiwanese are very diligent. So I don't know. I, I didn't really have a second round of conversation to ask him. Um, but um, I somehow I get an offer. But this is another thing I want to encourage all of you. When they when I got an offer, they made it very clear to me. First, they cannot apply the green card for me. Okay. They if they if I ever wanted to apply, that would take another six years. And secondly, they have no guarantee because they said that they hired this person to be sent to Hong Kong. They have no guarantee they will send me back to New York, right? It's kind of like this is a specially created position and whether you want to do it or not, you are, it's on you, right? Um, I I honestly felt like if I, I was fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to go into Pervez, there's nothing at that point I will, I will say, oh, I should go back to a safer case-shoulder place. I actually think this is exactly what I need. I need to see whether I'm cut out to be a U.S. lawyer, whether I can fit in um, the Castro Wall Street uh, environment. So I, I took a shot. I tried. The first year, I have to say, it's very harsh because uh, most of my quote-unquote, um, I'm not trying to say Corvette has any issues, but I'm saying I can only say my from my subjective uh, point of view that a lot of non-Asian senior associate are not interested in talking to me. I, I think they, they feel like I'm probably the high pay uh, translator. Um, and um, I, I think it, it, they, they have no interest in really teaching me anything. But the good thing is first, um, Corvass had 40 hours, I remember training tapes from accounting issues, from due diligence issues, from anything you can imagine under the sun. I think I probably watched that tape repeatedly three times, right? I'm just I'm just studying myself. And also because honestly, nobody paying attention to me and I'm always considered um, inferior associate anyway. I actually think I have a perfect opportunity to put my head, head down and learn. I, I I volunteered to went to go to any meeting for them. I said I don't, you know, I don't do billable hours. I'm just doing notes. I'm observing. I'm doing everything. I'm just waiting for my shot. Um, I think the first year was tough because I don't know whether they think I'm too low key, whether they can see any investment potential in me, whether they will lay me off right away, and also there is some cultural shock. I have to say that um, it's a very competitive customer environment that they're swearing all day long. Okay, I'm a very, I was a very polite person. I don't even know how to come out with that sentence, but it's very, um, uh, I have to say it's indeed at that point, very man dominant. 
And then, um, and I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I cannot participate in their social event, and I don't like to. There are a lot of issues um, I was trying to overcome. But I think that I got a break and just because somehow there was some conflict. And then one of my very good friends, who grad, uh, a Caucasian girl who graduated from Stanford Law School, just couldn't take the pressure. He, she quit. Um, here comes my chance. Uh, suddenly, my partner uh, stormed into my office saying, Portia, there are two IPOs. I don't have a person to work on. Can you try? And I said, oh, of course. Right. So it, here it comes about my not ever no sleep working for three hours. Probably I mostly sleep in the, on the ground of the office because particularly because I'm slower, particularly because I need to make sure I, I was really doing the right thing for even if some of you are doing IPO work for any risk factor disclosure, I probably check 10 books, 10 precedent for anyone to make sure that I have the, the most right one, right language, even if I know the facts. But I need to make sure I have the perfect native speaking, um, like a native speaker's type of English could be presented on a paper because they know I'm not a native English speaker. They know I had um, worse drafting, but I have to catch up. So I need to make sure even if I, based on the facts, how am I gonna mark up the document? How am I gonna disclose? And then the issues, um, I had to say that my background in the civil law system really helped me because there are a lot of um, Asian issues in Thailand, um, in Philippines, in Singapore, and this thing. I can easily understand what they're talking about, but for some of the lawyers at that point, uh, at that time in New York, they couldn't quite really figure out. I think I, I found a way to dive in deeper and find a way to connect them back to the reality and they're trying to find a solution to balance the risk. And I also help them to talk to some of the very, um, uh, very demanding CEOs from Asia or who are the management of the company based in the United States by management or Chinese or management or from Asia. I think I found a way to talk to them. So. I think after three years that my partner in Corbett told me that I'm indeed the best lawyer in the office because they kind of felt like I can really make things happen. Um, at that point, and miraculously, I also, yeah, this is something that unfortunately some of you cannot, cannot really have this now after 9-11. I, at that point, I, I somehow, um, managed to get a green card through self-petition national interest waiver. <laughs> I'm laughing to myself because I don't know what national interest I have, but I got in. Um, I got a green card, so um, I actually got a major law firm's offer uh, in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley from the state. So I wanted to leave because I wanted to end the long distance relationship with my husband. So I wanted to go back to the States. I really want to try to just working in the States, not you, uh, not New York with Hong Kong or not Hong Kong. Um, but uh, Corvass gave me an unbelievable, I can, a, a package I cannot refuse, including a pass to the partnership. But at that point, they, they had a greater plan for China. Um, so I was convinced to stay. But then um, after uh, when the time when I was about to be reviewed, um, I got pregnant 
And then again, that's a hard choice, right? So they say, okay, if you want to make a partnership next year, when I went, um, I chatted with Hardy on this. I, when I went back to the States to try to deliver my daughter to in the States, um, my partner in the crevasse even said, oh, okay, then you're going to make partner next year. You have to try to further strengthen your English ability. I said, how? He said, oh, go to English literature program in Stanford. I'm like, I, I was laughing with him. I said, I, I'm, I'm seven months pregnant. You want me to go to English literature? But in any event, I went. I, I, and I, um, for one month, I was very stressful. And I don't know whether any, I cannot prove any correlation. But anyway, I had a premature delivery of my daughter. And therefore, I went back to Hong Kong earlier. Um, and somehow because of SARS. And and because somehow at that point we had a very long time discussion with um, our neuro management, which I'm willing to share with you some of the conversation, because I think that's exactly when you are um, as a lawyer trying to assess whether you should be um, sticking with your current firm to be a partner. I think everything is about economics. Everything is about partners come. Everything is about how the law firm is paying your partners. And then therefore that would determine whether it's the right firm for you. Um, because at that point we had a discussion and as you can imagine, like a Wattel, like Pervez, right? They, if they do a big mega MMA, their, their fee over a weekend is like 30, $40 million. So they are reassessing why is it right for the numbers? If you don't do local hire, if they send everybody from the States, why is it right? for them to put that many people in Hong Kong, for us to do a CNUC IPO for one year, the fee is only 2 million bucks. It, it just economically is not justifiable to do this, right? On long-term basis, why are you doing this? And a lot of the, uh, a lot of people like us, we're, every day we're assessing why for US law firm is worthy while to do a Hong Kong IPO because the realization is very low. And so every, everything is about economics. And the, the thing is, because as you know, Corvaz and Simpson or Clary, some of the top law firms are paid on lockstep, right? So it's global pooling. So it's basically, they're like, okay, as long as I'm, I'm sure I have enough money in this pool, do I really have to expand outside? And then to have, you know, I think it's, it's more about that. But during that process, um, I also kind of learned, okay, this is the last step. That it's a good thing for people actually wanted to have work-life balance because after you become a partner, you don't have to worry about that much about every day I'm building my hours because somehow the firm will have money keep flowing in that you just share. And it doesn't matter whether this year you're 1,200 hours or this year you're 2,200 hours, your pay is based upon the seniority. Right, so that's why um, that leads to uh, one of the article. I I wonder whether you guys saw it on June twenty third, the Wall Street Journal. Right, there's an article saying, "Oh, now on Wall Street, the lawyers have paid better than the bankers." I don't know whether you guys saw that article. Yes, I did, and yeah. even like bets as well as the athlete. Yeah, yeah, but which is true. Um, why? Because I remember at that time that the people he mentioned is really at my time. 
then when Corvette is lockstep, probably three or $4 million, this is based upon American lawyer, right? Published the PPP and their partner who will leave Corvass to join JP Morgan to have $10 million pay. But when the $10 million pay is sealed, is locked, cannot go up, now you come back to the law firm based upon your collection, you will get $20 million pay, right? So they come back, right? And then I think, but you're gonna have to choose, the, the, the reason why there is a $20 million for them here to get it because he has to choose different law firm who is actually not paid by lockstep. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, because yeah. if there is based on collection, then you, you couldn't have an upside. And this is exactly, um, the Corvax experience is wonderful. I, I actually think that at this point, I will still tell you the US is very hierarchy based. It's, it's it, it, that Corvax is absolutely a stepping stone for me to do anything, even including the fact that I didn't have a very um, substantial US working experience. I can easily get an offer from a major law firm in the Silicon Valley just because, just because I'm from Corvax. There's nothing else. I don't think it's because of me. It's just because my bio. Um, but the after you become a lawyer in a law firm, I, I went to, and because, hold on, the story is that the SARS started, and then Corvette decided to close the Hong Kong office. We need all need to go back to New York. And I, I, I indeed had a very tough decision because first, my ex-husband didn't want to go to New York. And I had a baby. And I need to think, and I, I was struggling because I'm thinking, if I go back to New York, I had to raise this girl and the lifestyle is going to be very tough. Um, I think that at that point, I was very happy to make a decision to move to West Coast because just I kind of feel like I don't need that much money. I need enough money to feel I'm free, but I don't need to be the top of the top and then therefore command all the money, but I may not have a good life. Um, so we had a a very long discussion at Corvette was very nice because they felt like they really owe me that partnership, but I decided not to go back to New York. They actually called um, Wilson Sansini to place me into Wilson. They said, they just called someone. I don't want to say who, but they called someone to say, you're going to have to hire her. You will not regret, blah, 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 blah. So I got a job. And I went back to work in uh, Wilson uh, in Silicon Valley for two years. But I have to say, again, I was um, having cultural shock. It's a totally different environment. Everybody is very homogeneously happy. Um, and, uh, you know, your client will suddenly stop the meeting and say, hey, my son is playing fo uh, football, so I'm leaving. I'm like, huh? Okay. Um, but... And also the cultural shock is when Corvette is lockstep compensation system, you share a global pool. But Wilson is kind of you kill what you eat, right? So everybody's fighting for different associates, fighting for different uh, clients. I'm not saying it's a bad environment. No, uh, Wilson in Silicon Valley had the dominant right market share and is doing the best deal and they have the best lawyer. But as a mom who at that point had a newborn baby, it's not good. I just realized that even if I'm a very committed, um, ambitious lawyer, I didn't want to be in a working environment that I had to, to compete on everything every day. And I don't think that even if I made a partner there, 
I will be able to feel like I'm set because I will not be set because every year your put is pay your pay is based upon how you collect how much you collect. I'm not going to be set. So again, um, even though I was working very hard, I really appreciate the opportunity to work in Silicon Valley, and I learned many things because Corvette taught me all the top um, capital markets skill set, but I and even debt and high yield bond. But and, and syndication loan and IPOs, but I never learned anything uh, on the corporate side because I'm more leaning toward the underwriter side. So um, I learned from the scratch again. Um, Wilson has wonderful even forms for VC financing, right? Pro investors, pro companies. I think again, I, I spend a lot of um, self study time. I learned those things and I learned how to help the company better on the even employment benefits, the tax, the structure. Um, but after two years at that point, I, I think that I had to make a partner. I think that I start having a second thought to say, hey, should I be here or should I go somewhere else? And I start lo uh, looking around and um, fortunately uh, I had two offers. One is to go to Omani and Myers in Shanghai to make partner there because they wanted, they, I think at that point they did Chen Tian Chao, Sheng Da Wang US IPO. They, they feel like they can really build the US IPO uh, market. Um, and then actually the now already bankrupt <laughs> Heller Ehrman, who really wants to build quote unquote China related practice. So they want to hire me. And they gave me a very good plan to make partner there. They really want to hire me. So it's kind of like a palato and nicer environment in Hellerman and a tougher environment, which I, that, that place, a country I, I have never been, even though I had a very uh, fun feelings of it because my parents and my dad grew up in Shanghai. I just never been. And um, I had to relocate with my daughter. Everything's new. Um, but to be honest, I was, again, this is the time I, I think I my research helped a little bit. Um, I think the Omar Neymar somehow struck me as something in terms of partners pay is more balanced. They have the basic share protection and then half of or one third of your um, pay is coming from your yearly performance variation. Right? You, you, could, you could have a higher amount of bonus if you have a better collection. So it's more balanced to me. So I, I feel like my downside is more protected, but my, I could have an upside if I really want to fight for it. And Hellerman is more like uh, Wilson at that point, but a better Wilson play because they don't have that much competition internally. Um, or more like Ropes and Gray, but I don't want to comment on Ropes and Gray. But anyway, I'm just saying, um, so I made it. And then I think for me to have First of all, I have to make it clear. I'm not that kind of person that wants to stay on top forever. So at that point, my plan was to earn quick money and leave because I really are very tired of uh, staying out every day to do all those stressful work for so many years. I was thinking, oh, if I can make quote, unquote, how much money, then I'm just going to retire at 45. So to me, how I can make to the highest pay at that moment, that was my goal to be honest. And I compare Omani Myers with another lockstep firm in Asia. And I even asked them, so if you're, if you're lockstep, which is good for mom, but 
what's your incremental each year? You see, I'm actually a very practical person. I, I, I kind of calculated, I decided to bet on my Mars. I felt like um, I should have enough legal skills to do a good, to be a good um, company side, a disclosure lawyer. And I should have enough interpersonal skill set to really um, move around with people and to talk to the VC people and to talk to the company. Because again, Wilson gave me another uh, good education is that not only to be a lawyer, you need to know your, your client's industry, right? Because for example, if your clients are mostly doing medical device, you cannot really don't know what 510K is about and how we're gonna get to 510K and what, what is the hurdles and, how the competitors are coming to the market, what is the distribution model. You're gonna to have to know everything to know. So when your client is assessing how much money they have to raise, is this too conservative? Is that too um, out of reach? And then, and then with how they're gonna to present to the investors, everything is it's about the process and how much you understand your next step. And after you raise this round, how long this money can last for uh, the operation on um, two different scenario, conservative, aggressive one, and how we're gonna make the next move. What's the company's plan A, plan B, plan C? In in a um, whole set of environment when you're, when you're as a lawyer, as an advisor to understand their needs and you can help them, that's actually most useful. And then your client will become very loyal to you. They will never leave you because you actually, see everything ahead of them like um, for the next three years, right? So you can provide them with it. What if you, you're if you raising money, okay, then go this and you don't, then we'll go here. And then we'll, how, how we're gonna move around. I think that I learned that at, at uh, Wilson. This, this is not something that Corvass would teach me. Corvass teach me, taught me to be a great lawyer, but I think I learned a lot of practical experience in Wilson. So when I, I kind of had a more confidence in me to feel like I probably could make a name, could make it um, in China if if I can get it around. Um, it's very fortunate I joined uh, Omani Mari Shanghai office and I had a wonderful backer, uh, a partner who also uh, was um, ahead of me in Corvass and Wilson. He really believed in me and really did a lot of great US IPO. But the same thing, before I made a partner at Omani Maris, uh, at that point, the managing partner of Asia office told me one thing, very interesting. He said, Portia, you're great and your clientele is great, but you know, we're a much nimble firm. We needed to feel like um, during the peak time and downtime of IPO market, you could still survive. So you're gonna have to prove to the firm, you're not one trick pony, how you're gonna survive if there's no IPO, right? For example, the market is totally down. What are you gonna do? And then you have to show you could diversify. You can really hedge you against yourself. Um, fortunately, in that year before I made partner that um, there is uh, two new clients coming through the door who are the very big funds from New York, the first time trying to do pre-IPO investment in Asia. And somehow when I interviewed with them, I got picked as the sole legal provider um, in Asia. So I probably, before I made partner, so I probably have 70% of IPO revenue, but I have 30% totally pre-IPO revenue. 
to show to the firm that, okay, if I can do IPO, I could do MMA, I could do uh, financing, I can, I can do something else to hedge against myself. So great. So I made it. Um, so in a way, that's my past. And um, I have been doing very well um, in Omani Mars in Shanghai. Um, particularly, I, I think I was there in the right time. Even if I run into a slow time in 2008 and 2009, um, I think that's the point I started to talk to different company. I said, okay, I'm not going to get any fee from you. I just want you to um, work with me in terms of how to prepare yourself to get more funding next year when the time is right. And I, I work with them to work with many VCs. I also told the VCs that, like I told Sipoya, Stimbo, the SIG, all the people and say, hey, I can work this out for you if you hire me to do their VC deals. My fee is the same, but I will do the IPO planning, exit planning for them. I can even train or talk with the CFO as to how, how what, you know, if you say, say I would do, I will volunteer a lot of uh, free advice. Um, so once the downtime is over, then our business pick up like crazy. I think that in 2011, before I relocate back to the Silicon Valley office, our office is great. I think that our revenue, like my personal revenue definitely is over $25 million. Um, but my daughter is getting older. I felt like, no, I uh, she is more suitable to grow up in the States. Um, so I requested to go back to the States we relocate back to Silicon Valley again. It was originally very tough because I didn't have any clients in Silicon Valley. But uh, fortunately, I just realized in the Silicon Valley, there's no people like me. <laughs> uh, meaning that a US trained lawyer, I really work in Hong Kong and Shanghai for a long time and is based in the United States because Silicon Valley have a lot of, uh, I would say ABCs, but they never really work in China, even though they, they can speak the language or a lot of uh, Caucasian that are great, they can speak the language, but they're just not Chinese. Um, my benefit not only being uh, more unique um, person that actually working in a top law firm and has been, have gone through all this great IPOs in this, um, in China also know a lot of nitty gritties, right? I, I would, I know the number 10, I know the save, I know how to get around because in order to work through a, a successful IPO, you actually have to go through a lot of issues uh, with local authority. And Omani Mars has a benefit that we don't really own, we don't really rely on local PRC law firm. We've ha we feel like we're obligated and we're, we should figure out issues ourselves and to drive the process to make sure that nobody is slacking in the process. So I think I learned a lot through the experience. So when I start basing in the Silicon Valley, I started to realize, and interestingly, most of my Asia contact all either relocating back to the States, including a lot of non-Asians, or they just have a second house in Silicon Valley. So um, I had a lot of contact, a lot of people introduced me to the US company. So for example, if a totally domestically US listed company, but they want to do a license deal with Fuxing, for example, or the a totally US based company, they want to do 
US IPO or they start doing Hong Kong IPO, I can help them or they want to buy, they, they have MMA involving Asia. The most of the things that um, even if initially was very tough, but somehow uh, it came out to be totally fine. So um, I have had a very great years up to now. So certainly now when my daughter goes to college in New York, I, I told the firm I want to be based in New York, I can. And still um, great because nowadays after COVID, oh no, not even after COVID, I think since I was in Silicon Valley, we're already starting doing real remote working. Nobody really cares where you are because we can always use WeChat, use anything to because uh, to to do whatever we're doing. Because when you, when you're a partner, you're doing larger scale deals that your leverage is in. For example, I work for uh, Farmeron. Uh, Farmeron is a, a dual listing company in uh, China and Hong Kong. They're doing overseas acquisition. I have to have I have to work with UK lawyers, Canada lawyers, you know, East Coast, West Coast, China. Everything is in everywhere. So it doesn't matter where I am. Um, so I, even though I'm physically based in New York, I, I don't feel any real difference um, in terms of the clientele contact because people now feel like if they need you, they will find you. It's not, it's not like I need to really doing cold call or I, I do need to visit a client. I think if people feel like they needed us, they will come to ask me where how we can meet up and it never was an issue. So in a way that this career path, I'm just gonna stop right here because I already talked about uh, hall for a long time. That the reason why I apologize, I didn't really follow Hardy's uh, interview guidelines because I, I, I don't feel like I can break down in that way. But I, I think I try to cover many things that um, the host might wanted to ask me but may not be in a way that I answer your question. So I'm just gonna stop right here so you can have supplementary question. And I really uh, wouldn't mind at all if any of you on the line has any question you want to ask, I'm happy to answer too. Yeah, thank you, Portia, for the uh, detailed introduction about your journey. Yes, yeah, so if like anyone in the room uh, have like, any question, you can either like, test your question in the chat box or you can raise your hand. I can kind of unmute you to directly ask the question. Uh, like before any, the other participant asked any question, I actually had the uh, many questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I kind of, you kind of mentioned that one of your motivation, like mm -hmm. relocating from Taiwan to New York, want to like kind of interview a job at Krava, is that, you kind of like want to like make more money because you kind of imagine that even you made the matching partner in Taiwan, probably it's kind of difficult to uh, have the pace gap. So yeah. yeah, I kind of understood that. So, but do you have like any doubts about yourself at that time, whether you can kind of make partner at an international law firm, especially like in the United States, because like, from what I have seen, like many like Asian, uh, so many lawyers with Asian background, they kind of have lower career ceiling in the US, probably like many of them, they like, just like being a counsel at international law firm uh, in the US, but for many of their peers, uh, for them kind of working in China or in like in either the international law firm in China or even the Chinese law firm, they can kind of maybe 
more easier like to have their own clients and also like easier to make the equity partner. And and as far as I know, like for those equity partner, like at those Chinese law firm, like the metric circle law firm, they can mm -hmm. also make a few million dollars yeah. a year. Of course, only those like top partner maybe not like $10 million, like the senior partner at international law firm. So how do you see this balance? Like you do it kind so, of- pay um, I, I think you're, no, no, I think I totally understand where you're coming from. But again, let, uh, go back to the thing that you have to know yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical, but I already assess I'm not that kind of person can really thrive in an Asian uh, environment. Okay, like I said, I'm I I I don't like to massage or uh, sweeten up any particular partner. I don't like to take a political stand with anybody, and I don't um, I don't like to take a lot of seniors' unreasonable demands just because they're seniors. There are a lot of cultural issues, at least at that point in Taiwan. I think as a uh, more outspoken female lawyer that would become an issue that I have to feel like every day I have to suppress myself to be a real me. Okay, that's a Taiwan issue. I think China, I totally understand. Um, I have many uh, successful friends that are top, you know, partners of top law firms. Actually, to be honest, I think that even in 1999, when I first started doing Sohu's IPO, we met with a lot of partner, Tongshan partners. I think their pay already made my crevasse partner's jaw drop, like, ah? Uh, why, why I'm not born in China, right? So, uh, but the thing is, um, you're gonna have to be them, right? You need to have a specific connection with certain people and you need to be able to play those connections in the right way to feel like for the, the next 30 years, you're gonna be fine. Um, I don't think I want to um, play based upon human network that much because I, I want to feel like I can be my own boss, right? I can make my own decision. Even if I, when I was in China, I can share with you because that covers with the next, some of the question about you asked me about the, being a woman partner, how much challenges I have. I will tell you it's, it's very challenging. As I said, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't play golf, I don't do dinners. Okay, any of my office mates in Shanghai would know. At one point, I just told everybody, including my own office dinner, I don't go. I said, I'm just going back to have dinner with my daughter. I'm not going to participate in any dinners. But I need to uh, made up for the things I don't do. So the way I do is, um, oh, not only that, I, I set a rule to myself. I'm not leaving my daughter. I, I, I had the longest time I would be away from any business trip uh, from uh, to be away from my daughter is 48 hours. So even if I miss a plan, I, I just actually share with someone that like I missed a plan to go back from Wuhan to Shanghai. I actually hired Ehi's car for two drivers to drive 16 hours back from Wuhan to Shanghai from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. to be back home. I'm just not gonna do it. Um, I made my choice. I want to be a good mom. I also want to be a good lawyer. So how am I going to do it? How am I going to make my client still trust me to feel like, okay, I chose Portia. She doesn't come to my dinner, but she's still going to do my things and she can get to know me. Um, 
I invite the whole family going on to do Sunday brunch, right? I, I visit, I, I help their daughters, I help, help their sons. I do a lot of other things, but I want to do it in daylight. I want to do it in a way that I can do. And even my daughter can participate. So my daughter probably will become friends with many of my uh, clients, kids, just because I wanted to make sure that they, they can see who I really am. And they will know there's things I will do. I will, I will, I'm a hustler. I will hustle to make things happen. But there are certain things I will never do. I think the line is very clear, right? But if I want to be a local firm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure. I can ever stick with that line. Doesn't matter which HR country I'm in. In, in the United States, the good thing is because the market is big enough, right? Even actually in China, you can say the same thing. In China, at this point, the good thing is because the market is overall booming. So you should feel happy enough that you will be, even if you're selective, even if you're, there are certain things you don't do, I think you will make a very good living. You will be a very successful person by just sticking with what you are happy to do. Um, but at that point, before China is fully developed at that point, because I was talking about 1990-something, right? Um, China was just Gaige Kaifang, right? I cannot see that. So I'm not going to bet. I, I'm not even going to go How am I going to feel like I'm going to a Chinese law firm, to be honest, right? And it, in Taiwan and China, there are many political things and many business connections, even family connections I'm never going to be able to have and I'm never going to play. I want to just be a lawyer counting on myself in terms of how I'm gonna do it. I think US law firm at that point, at least provide me with opportunity to think that because it's a, cap it's a capitalist country, a capitalist in a way, yes, there, there are people who have connections, but on the other hand, as long as you deliver, you deliver the money to the firm, you deliver results, the capitalist country, the society, they will, they will also reward you too. That I know. And I also want to say that um, I have many friends at that point, 1996, I remember the, my 1994 uh, JD Yale graduates, who is also, I don't want to name him, but he is also um, at that point, Giga Media CEO is listing, is a company from Taiwan, but it's already listed in, uh, um, I think in New York, on New York Star Exchange or NASDAQ. I also just shared with you before the talk, right? I have many colleagues, as a lawyer who are, one is the CFO of Salesforce now, one is the CEO of Accenture. Many people at that point already, already showed it to me that uh, being a US lawyer, not only you could be a lawyer, you could actually move on to set up your own company or trying to be a management of a certain company. You have a many way to expand your life choices. Somehow in Asia, it's not common. Right, because I think it's because like usually you study four years law school, you don't really have any other financial economics or other knowledge for you to feel equipped enough. I'm gonna try other area. But in the United States, because the lawyer is part, the key lawyers is a part of decision makers in the companies, or they at least they're the part of the advisor to the board. Um to make a strategic advice and to how the company can move forward. So their role is expanded, right? So you feel like if you wanted to be uh, do something different, 
U.S. will privilege with more um, opportunities. In Asia, I, 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 I can see, I don't even see I have a second way. I'm either a partner of this or I'm going to be a top judge. And even I'm partner of the top law firm, I can see what kind of practice I'm going to do. I can only say at that point, I didn't feel like it was very interesting. Yeah, thank you for the answer. So I think we have kind of one question from the chat boss is like, mm -hmm. Uh, for the young Chinese lawyer wishing to practice in the U.S., like what areas of practice do you advise? I think this kind of question also related to the current like legal market, especially mm -hmm. like the current like tension between like China and U.S. So mm -hmm. you also kind of mentioned that earlier. So you need to kind of diversify your practice and you can kind of hedge your practice. Maybe right now there's not many like IP, Chinese IPO in the US. And mm -hmm. then like, do you have any advice for those young lawyers to um, fix yeah, their yeah. practice? Thank you for this question. I, I think that you first have to, again, ask yourself, yeah. do you want to work in a law firm or do you want to have a uh, very successful practice, right? I think top Wall Street law firm practice, I would say definitely, the only thing would never, never uh, weaken is MMA because it doesn't matter whether it's a good time, the good time you work for buyers and the bad time you work for sellers, but you always, and then when US and China has tension, then US can buy from Taiwan, from Japan, from Korea. Right, China can buy from Europe, from um, uh, Israel, from anywhere that there's no tension. Um, so, in in a way, the MMA market is always there. Right, you may not have an equity market, but the MMA market is always there. But as a successful uh, solo practitioner, or you want to have a successful practice. Um, I actually um, encourage a lot of person, a lot of young lawyer to say, if you are joining a mid-sized law firm, you're doing it yourself. In many low-income tax states, I can even tell you, I have primary residence in Florida. Florida doesn't have a very successful Asian background, um, trust or wills or family, uh, like, you know, private banking type of lawyer. And that is going to be a huge thing, including um, if you have international tax knowledge, that would be even better because people is going to people are motivated to pay you a lot of money for you to set up um, a program for them to relocate their, their wealth, for them to avoid minimize their tax in different jurisdictions. And people have the needs to set up a trust or LLC to maximize uh, the, the tax benefit and the estate benefit. Um, these in certain state are very missing. Um, yeah, certainly if you all cluster in New York and San Francisco, I wouldn't say that you definitely have the advantage. But even in a very competitive market, the better ones always win, right? So if you are committed to be a solution provider, if you think that I could actually could, I, I know how to um, have a better skin, uh, to serve my clients, you will win and you can even charge more. So in a way, um, I cannot tell you that whether doing international tax in a law firm, for example, like a wine and case, a very successful tax program, but doesn't mean that for that, you should go to do international tax, right? 
but but for you to do international tax is for you to even saying okay even if I don't work for a law firm I could even set up my own practice. If you are daring, you definitely can do it. And then in the U.S., I still have to say uh, overall the um, capital markets work or uh, that you see the top Wall Street law firms, right? Salon, Conwell, or Cravath, they're doing um, capital markets work, DCM or ECM. Wachtell is doing high-end MMA. There are certain high-end premium but pie deal is always there. If you can sharpen your skill set to do that, you can always do that kind of thing in the top 30 law firms any, everywhere. It's, it's a commonly useful uh, practice. But if you're saying that I don't have to do that and I'm not interested, um, and you should do something else. Um, again, depending on your personality, um, a lot of people are more introvert. I actually said tax is great, right? A lot of people are very outspoken, uh, very um, articulate. Um, but if you, for you to do MMA or uh, capital markets, I actually think you need to um, be really immersed with the world, the dynamics of the global economy. You have to really figure out where the capital is moving. You cannot just advise your plan in the isolated world, right? If you now, if you're telling your client to go to Hong Kong and suddenly realize Indonesia now is a very big market, <laughs> right? You, you're gonna have to know everywhere. And then you, you, you have that kind of eye and you have that kind of interest, then you can go there too. So I, I don't think it's a, um, in short, I still think that if, know yourself and you have some sector experience and you just have to figure out what's what's the thing you are best at first and then you do it yeah thank you i think there are also many other questions that they kind of related to like either like uh working in china or either working in the u.s especially like given the current environment and the current environment, you know, like you also mentioned that many of your colleagues, like including you, kind of right now relocating from uh, Asia, Asia to US in recent years. Mm. Um, but we one of the question is that like uh, she is a kind of LM graduate now with several years of like experience practicing IPO oh, in mm. yeah in China, but not JD. But if he if she want to like practicing in the U.S. whether to pursue a, another JD. I think you kind of also have the similar uh, issue before, right? Do you have, I have like... To be, I have to be very honest with you that this is the kind of uh, question I answer almost every day. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, very, um, uh, I'm very sad to report to you that to the extent, if you are relatively young, um, if you are, you really want to be, okay, again, I have to say something uh, in a way that is more realistic. Do you, if you really wanted to have a life in the United States, meaning that you're just not saying, oh, right? I'm just here to get some U.S. degree and going back to a home market. You really want to become an immigrant to the U.S. society. You have to be normalized. LOM is not a normal degree. JD is the normal degree, to be honest, right? But so, but for LOM graduate that already have a great offer, you don't need to do anything. Just go on because in the end, it's your practice. 
is going to help you, right? Your your performance after you join a firm. But beforehand, uh, I I would say that if you're relatively young and you feel daring, I will recommend everybody to try to at least take an LSAT first. And then if you're a 95 percentile and then you can get into the, let's say top 20 law school, then you, then you can evaluate whether I want to spend another three years to do this. Certainly for some LOM uh, uh, student, they're fortunate enough, for example, they're in UPenn, right? And then they successfully just convert into UPenn JD program with a shorter period of time. Um, there are some of the school are still doing that. And then because they're UPenn and they probably can get to uh, the right uh, top law firm right away. Somehow you, you, you sometimes will scratch your head to say, why, We're, I'm the same person. Why is it just because I go to a different school and my, my life experience will be so different. Somehow this is just how this world is working, right? Because for people to make an exception, to see beyond the resume, they can never see you, right? Within 30 minutes interview. And therefore, for them to feel like I'm, I'm safe to make a decision to hire you, to give your offer, your resume has to look uh, reasonably impressive like everyone else. I'm not saying LLM resume will never be hired. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that if you want to increase your chances to go to the top law firms, I, I still think that JD is, is definitely much more desirable uh, pass. But it's a lot of money, it's a lot of years. Whether you want to invest, I actually think that you should just really see which law school you can get into. And before that, then, then when you know that, you can make a decision. To be honest, if you now take an LSAT, you're a very high percentile or something, and then you got into Harvard Law School, I don't see why you don't go. Because it's a totally, it, it changed your um, entering status. And then because you're entering to different uh, rank, unfortunately, I don't want to say that, but that's true. You enter in different market and then you're, you're somehow your trajectory will be totally different. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah, yes. Oh, okay, Prisha, uh, do you want to continue or are you- No, no, uh, I, I'm done, yeah. Yeah, okay, uh, we got some other questions. One, mm -hmm. um, one is, do you perceive the Asian identity as a potential barrier for challenge for business <laughs> development compared to like, uh, European Americans for deals without many Asian connections. Um, is that a more pressing issue for those who practice in England, given British society seems to be more conservative? Mm, I, I indeed have to be honest that I think that um, just say that um, if even if I have I, I have even if I think I have a good enough resume, right? If I'm going to pitch for a client with a totally different non-Asian partners with a non-Asian management, I really actually do not see I have a too much advantage, right? Because somehow I think the, the corporate difference, the, the way I present myself um, or, or the conversation, for example, but it's not really because of Asian. I can even tell you I'm Taiwanese, right? I pitch for, um, one of the deal, uh, I don't want to name, but one of the CEO, very successful CEO in Beijing. 
he right she right away told me Portia I really appreciate your coming you're a great lawyer but you know you just you don't uh what what did she say sorry I have to say in Chinese he said right just right and basically she was saying that you're just you don't have the the top of university style from Beijing then I right away um admit I said yeah I don't right but and then but I hope that you open my ear to see my style though, right? So, um, but in a way that if if Beida to hire Beida lawyer, right? And then um, the Harvard to hire Harvard lawyer, the non-Asian to hire non-Asian is actually happening every day. It just somehow they feel closer. They feel that, oh, you understand me better. And then it, it, because lawyers, as you can imagine, is all about the trust between the lawyer and the client. Right. It, it, and then again, people, it's not very easy for people to gain trust just by talking, by seeing your resume for a few hours. Right. It's, it's based upon long term understanding um, of a person. Um, so I, I do think that in overall, um, overall, uh, in the US, I, I really don't think, I, I really actually think that unless I'm, pitching with Asian management, um, I don't necessarily have any advantage. But does that mean that I cannot get any deal for non-Asian? No, that's not true. Then it's totally competing based upon my knowledge of the deal and then the things. Um, so overall, actually in short, I want to say, I don't think the Asian background is a disadvantage. Because then, because in this U.S. society, you're gonna see Hispanic background, right? European background, like you said, uh, overall. But whether certain background will give you certain shortcut in some circumstances, yes, right? But this happens in every society. So I'm not quite sure I can answer this question in one way or another. But I don't. Um, I don't really feel like even if U.S. is going to have a tension with China, but trust me, they the economy ties cannot really be severed. So there are things could be done. Um, and then after I have worked in the U.S. for so long, I don't really think that my management consider I'm an Asian. My management just gonna look at my performance to see this is a good partner or not good partner. Thank yes. you very much. Go ahead, Chen Yi. Yeah, I think we got a, a question related to the relationship between um, China, Asia, and um, the US. So um, uh, the question is, uh, due to the relationship between these two markets, uh, the involvement of American law firms and capital in the Chinese economy has significantly decreased. This may pose as a greater challenge for Asian background lawyers, um, do you have advice for them who want to pursue a career uh, in the US? And this is also related to one of the questions in our line um, with the current economic downturn, many lawyers and law students are struggling with finding yeah. uh, a job or securing their, their jobs. Would you provide any advice? I, I do think that definitely the, um, the possible unfriendly term of the two countries is not a good factor, right? It's not a good help for you with the Asian background to find a job. 
Um, but overall, um, I encourage each of you to present yourself just as a U.S. lawyer, because I I really don't think any each of anyone, including me, I don't ever think that. Um, yeah, certainly, Corvettes hired me because they're they they made it very clear this is a specially made program. They're going to send me to Hong Kong, right? Then I have to tailor my skill set to that market. But now, if you're looking for a job in the United States, I do not, I, I don't, I do think that even, I don't know how much, for example, Simpson Cetera is going to recruit the people in the United States and send to Hong Kong. I think Hong Kong enough, has enough local hire. So um, I think that's a more exceptional cases. So overall, if you're thinking, I'm just trying to find a job in the United States with US law firm, even if you're Asian, I think the most importantly is still is your understanding of the market, your skill set. Um, and then as during the long term, um, I have shared with my thoughts with some of the other people. I actually think, again, like I hinted in my previous answer, I actually think sector knowledge is very important. And then in terms of uh, your understanding as to how the company or how the institution is working is very important. Sector knowledge, meaning that if you're doing, uh, a lot of people uh, might be doing IP um, and then doing privacy. I think that's, is a, that's a too procedurally focused, process focused. No, I, what I'm saying is like, even the privacy, are you doing more for YouTubers? Are you more doing for uh, artists, who are who is your target audience? I think you need to have more understanding of your target audience, your target potential clients. And then if this is for the company, what's the what what is the real issue for uh, data, you know, data protection for a software company, for a medical diagnosis company, for different type of company will have different needs. I think if you somehow can find something combined with your background, um, major or industry knowledge, and then you will be more uniquely presented in your interview or even in your job review, right? And saying, hey, you know, um, it, it, for example, if you have more knowledge with AI, right? You definitely can find a job with AI company or even, or even with the funds that wants to invest in AI, or even the, the bank wants to find a compliance lawyer who really review AI-related disclosure or risk management issue. That, you, you first have to think of who are your target audience, who are your target clients, and who are your potential employer. And then you, you're gonna have to narrow down and focus. Um, for example, I, I really think that our choice as a firm and my personal choice um, accidentally landed on healthcare and bio uh, life science. And later, uh, you know, in, originally when I was doing IPO in China, I cannot pick, right? So I'm doing online gaming. It's very funny that I don't ever, I have not even played the game, right? I never play games. So online gaming, and then after I did it, I know it's not my thing. Education, could be, right? And then um, software, anything SaaS related might be because I have the way to understand the business better. But I remember the first time when I went to Singapore to understand the um, semiconductor assembly uh, uh, packaging, I'm telling you, I'm, I, I'm really struggling. 
I cannot even write the language because I just don't know what IC is. I don't know what wafer is. And even I look at it, I don't have a feel. So that I then I know I cannot really go deeper in this industry because for you to know the player in this market so that you can, when you interview your potential employer will know, oh, you know, upstream, downstream, side stream, everything, it, 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 it would just amplify you as a legal personnel, you actually could do much more than just law. Um, I actually think that will help you. Um, depending on how you see the trend of the economy is going, which are the industry it might be going, and then what um, sectors the law firm might be interested. Um, like for example, people know Omani Maris do a lot of entertainment. I still think the entertainment is going to be a big thing in the United States. Maybe sports, sports entertainment, or something else. That if you have a somehow a specialty focus and then you really possess domain knowledge, I think that will help you for you to find the right firm for you to go to the right place. But otherwise, I think that you're just gonna have to use um, all your network and shamelessly pursue all the contests you have because this is not about the shame anymore, right? This is about, it's actually a shame if you don't pursue your network aggressively and then you're wasted in the process, right? So at this point, if this is a downturn, yes, and everyone's experiencing it, but you're gonna have to pursue your network to meet with different, even if you cannot get into a partner, you, you go to talk with the associate to know what they're doing, um, what business is booming, what business they're laying off people, it's all useful for you. Yes, thank you, Porsche. I think today our topic is like unlocking the part of partnership. Yes, so I am also maybe as a one of the final questions, like could you share like some advice or strategy like for young lawyers who are kind of aspiring to become partners in international law firm? Maybe you already kind of answered some of that. Can you kind of maybe summarize like what would you like do if you kind of like uh go back maybe to 20 or 30 years ago what <laughs> advice you wish you had known when you were kind of starting out in your legal career when you know you want to make partner in an international law firm yeah um to be honest i don't really think that everyone needs to be a partner of a law firm to be happy and successful right yeah. so you you Again, you first, before you committed so many years of your life to choose this path, you're going to have to see whether you'll be happy to be one. Um, my answer is still very simple. At that point, I just felt like if I cannot be, I need to have, I need to be in a position to have the financial freedom to live the life I want to be. And I cannot imagine if I go to work another company or I walk, go to work with the bank, because you know, honestly, all the half of the Corvette associate who wouldn't make party when they go to be a legal counsel in Credit Suisse was not Smith's party more instantly, right? I, I'm not quite sure I can really have that life. Um, I don't think it's enough financial reward for me to feel like, oh, I can retire at 45. So um that's that's my driver, right? So I have a motivation and but on the other hand, I'm trying very hard to work at it. And uh, just like my previous partner told me that he said he worked his buzz off and then he felt like um, we don't deserve to sleep in a way, right? <laughs> just like work your buzz off and see whether you can get it. 
Um, I actually have that mentality. I actually don't think that most of younger people gen or younger generation have that mentality. I think now they're more, uh, more focused on life and work balance. And because of COVID, I, I think the people get used to remote working. It's actually making us to train associates harder, right? Because you don't really come into office every day. You don't meet every day and you don't meet with your client every day in person. It's actually making the process a little longer. I think now the path to partnership is actually longer and more challenging in a way. But um, for people who knows the limitations and know what they want, I still think they can, they can make it happen. Um, if you want it, even if you're a woman, even if you're a mom, even if you're Asian, I think that you're gonna find your audience. But before that, just don't be deterred by, you know, I'm not a native English speaker. I don't speak perfect English, which I still don't speak perfect English today. But I think in the end of the day, if you're giving your client good advice, I don't think they will care, right? And as long as, um, and, and as long as you um, feel like, even if I don't get it, and so what, right? I think you, you need to just be happy with the process. If you get it, that's great. And then if you don't get it at Omari Mars, you get it somewhere else, right? And that doesn't mean that in the end, um, we maybe you are going to be very successful in other firms and then we have to basically hire you back. Life is very long, you never know, right? So. Don't be, uh, don't be, uh, don't be hit by uh, just one time that you didn't get what you want. You just have to prepare yourself to be more versatile. You can do better, and life is long. I still think um, it's better to look at your life back when you're 45 or 50. Feel like, oh, okay, actually, I'm I'm doing all right, right? Um, and not to be deterred at it, at this point. You you guys are so young. Uh, no need to feel anxious or anything, just try your best. I still think that um, anyone who can pass in your bar is smart enough. Yeah, thank you. Chen Yi, do you want to like any question? Like for maybe? Oh, I actually, I do have one last question. Um, yeah. You mentioned a lot of challenges you came across as a female lawyer, like um, being regarded as too low key and withdrawn. And also you, uh, you want to spend more time with your kid. I want to, I wonder if you have any advice for female lawyers. Um, I do actually have to tell you, um, uh, I don't know whether the men can realize this. Before I was 26, I definitely, I was a Chong Yao lover. I'm a, I'm a long hair. The way I speak is absolutely Asian. Meaning that I knew that I cannot be, I have to be soft-spoken. I have to be very polite. And very, I couldn't say, I, I was never submissive, but I, I think I'm very um, soft because I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, women cannot be that aggressive. Other one, people will be like, like this, right? I, I have a lot of identity limitations. I do think the crevasse <laughs> transform me. I suddenly realized the plain English, the SEC said plain English, is direct, concise, commanding sentence. Do this. <laughs> Do not have transitional, right? Sentence like, oh, excuse me, I'm not quite sure. I think I learned to be more commanding. 
I learn to make sure that people do not misunderstand me. I can get my instructions or I, what I want uh, executed in an efficient way. And I actually even, I even felt like the way I'm talking right now, I had a much more lower voice. I don't talk like, eh, sorry, I'm very sorry about this. This is how I used to talk before I was 13. And I know I cannot survive in crevasse, not even in Silicon Valley, right? Because it, you don't carry enough weight. Um, and then I remember, and then one day I didn't realize I was making that changes. Um, I'm not asking you all becoming that person or changes, but, and I'm not saying like a successful woman lawyer like Julie Gao is, is, is making the voice differently. But what I'm saying is, um, I one day I remember I was still in Shanghai in 2011. Uh, one of the uh, funds I forgot it's IDG or someone who partner called me and say, Porsche, Porsche, you, you you definitely need to go to the meeting tomorrow. I said that's only a Series A four million dollar closing. Why do I need to go? I I said you know my associate is there. He said no no no. You you guys are different. Uh, you're you're your male associate speak like a woman, you woman partner speak like a man. And suddenly I don't even know whether it's a compliment or not. I speak like a man. But um, I realized at that moment, I think that it's somehow just because I have enough confidence, right? I already know how to maneuver and to command the room and I can make things happen. I, I'm not going to, be the bullshit around. I would say the, all the right thing to make things smooth, but I think in terms of how I speak, how my how I conduct myself, how I look at the issues, I think I changed. And I cannot tell you how this thing is going to transform me in every different woman, but indeed, um, for a very feminine uh, type of uh, Asian woman image, at least based on my experience, is not working. I, I went to Samsung one day, long time ago, when I was at Crevasse. I went there, I was their lawyer at, uh, not, you know, and then the chairman looked at me and I saw, um, I should pull the T for him. I said, no, I'm not a secretary, but he still felt like I need to pull the T, right? And then so I was like, hmm, I was really struggling. And I'm not gonna tell you whether I pulled the T or not, but I'm just saying that it's just a different environment. And as a woman lawyer, I do think that, um, yeah, a lot of people will give you advice and say, oh, you're a woman lawyer, so you should find women CFO, you should find women manager CEO. Not that it's not necessarily true. Sometimes the same gender might have an even bigger issue with you, right? So I, I don't really think, um, I just think that you, you just need to find the right chemistry uh, client. And fortunately, I still think the US and China are a big enough market you don't have to feel like, oh, why, why this client didn't pick me? You just have to believe that you are gonna find your uh, client, your, um, your audience, because people like how you behave yourself. And um, I think these two are a big enough market. But in terms of uh, the first question is still, I still feel like I change a lot in terms of how I conduct myself as a woman. Yes, thank you, Portia. I think our time is over. In the end, uh, let's take a group photo. Can I like ask oh, like photo? every yeah? Can I ask <laughs> like everyone open their camera? Let's take a group photo. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for everyone attending this event, especially on Sunday early morning and oh, no. Saturday early morning and Saturday late night. Our, our Shanghai partner is on the on, on line, Vincent. 
Thank yeah. you. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Portia. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Everyone, please open your camera. Let's take a group photo together. Hello, everyone. Please open your camera. <laughs> okay. One, two, three, cheers. Okay, maybe one more. Let me see. Um, hi, Porsche. Are you still there? I cannot see you. Hi, Porsche. Are you still there? I'm here. Oh, you need to open your camera. You need to turn off, turn on your camera. Oh, yes. One, two, three. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank Have you very great... much. But if, if there anything, I what I said was confusing, then feel free to send me some follow-up questions. I will, I will see whether I can answer. Yeah. So I hope everyone has a great weekend. Yeah, thank you for attending this event. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Do you Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.